0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We
1: behold the glory God, in the face of Christ, it shows us.
0: Sin is alluring and entertaining. It looks good, but has disastrous results ending in death. But we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who defeated death on the cross and offers us a life of freedom through faith in Him. is part three of Cheryl's message titled Scandalous Grace. One day the seed of woman which will be born
1: will crush the serpent's head but the serpent will mortally wound the seed in the heel. The curse of death will affect the woman She will have multiple conceptions and multiplied sorrows. This is the consequence or the curse of sin. This is what came in. This is what death does. This is the consequence of death. She will have multiple conceptions. That will be necessary. Multiple conceptions to bring forth life. Because bringing life into the climate of death will result in pain. Because every time she's pregnant, she will be working against death. Her desire will be toward her husband and her husband will now have a dominant place. For the man, the curse will include trying to cultivate life from cursed ground. Before he could eat freely and every fruit was freely supplied to him, all he had to do was go and harvest. But now he's going to have to the cursed ground he's going to have to compete with weeds and thorns and thistles for life and then it will all end in dust his body will return to the ground it was formed from adam and eve are then removed from the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and remain in this wretched condition of death and decay without any release Cherubim then guard the eastern entrance to the garden, and a flaming sword bars the way back in. From there, the consequences of sin continue to take their toll on humanity. In chapter four, we read that Eve gives birth to her first son, Cable, Cain. I started to call him Cable, just combining the two. <laughs> you heard it, I can't deny it. It happened. Eve has another son, Abel and then she gives birth to many more children. God calls these two brothers to offer a sacrifice of all of Adam and Eve's sons, these two are called. It's widely held by theologians and commentators that God continued to speak to mankind from Eden, that Adam and Eve were not too far from Eden, that they could see the cherubim and the flaming sword and that they knew God was inside the garden and they were separated, but they could still speak to him. They could still talk to him. They could hear him, but they could not see him. They could approach the entrance, but they couldn't enter. Cain and Abel bring their offerings. Abel offers the best of the sheep he is rearing. Cain offers some of the crops he has been able to till from the cursed ground. We read that God accepts Abel's offering. And Cain is so angry. You know why Cain's angry? Cain is angry because he doesn't want to change his ways. He wants to offer God the produce from the ground. That's what he wants to offer. He doesn't want to change his sacrifice. He doesn't want to give God what God wants. He wants to give God what is convenient what he's best at, but not what God wants. He doesn't want to change his ways. He doesn't want to change his sacrifice. And he doesn't want to change his priorities to please God. And rather than change, he decides to murder Abel, thinking that if he gets rid of Abel, God will have to accept his sacrifice. God sees Cain's countenance, He knows what Cain is thinking, and he warns Cain. Cain has no regard for the word of God or the warning. God says to him in verse seven of chapter four, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you offer me what I want, you'll be accepted. But if you do not do well, if you choose your own way, your own self-determination. Sin is lying at the door. Sin is the motivation. And that word, lying at the door, it means crouching. It's like a lion crouching outside. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin wants to take the advantage. Sin wants to rule. Cain does not refuse the influence and lie of sin. Somehow he thinks that life will be better without the godly able. Just like Eve, what, what did they say? The apple doesn't fall, fall far from the tree. I wonder if it's because of this. Just like Eve thought her life would be better with the forbidden fruit. In the same manner, Cain thinks his life will be better without the godly Abel. And so he calls his brother out to a field and he kills him. God calls to Cain, Where's your brother? He's giving Cain the opportunity to repent, just like he gave Adam and Eve the chance for confession and repentance. But Cain lies and acts deceitfully as if God doesn't know, as if God didn't see. And God says, don't you know that his blood is crying out to me? What is the blood of Cain crying out? Vengeance, vengeance. Cain is given a punishment by God. God announces that he'll be estranged, that he'll no longer be able to till the ground. It will no longer yield for him. Cain says, don't do this to me. Because Cain feels sorry for himself. I think he's got to be such a narcissist. His punishment just seems too much. He just killed his brother. And he's like, but I shouldn't be punished for that. I mean, what if someone does to me what I just did to my brother? Isn't that the truth? What if someone tries to murder me? I murdered my brother, but what if someone tries to murder me? It's not fair. You've got to protect me. And God has mercy on Cain. But Cain moves eastward. In other words, he's moving further away from Eden, further away from the presence of the Lord. And although his descendants have many advancements, instruments and iron, all of this is done, is done away from the presence of the Lord. They build a city. They make a name for themselves. But there is exploitation. Lamech, his grandson, takes two wives. He murders a young man. And then he brags about it to his wife and says, if Cain was avenged by God, man, I'm going to get even greater vengeance. 70 times 7, what he's saying is, I'll kill anybody who comes after me. So far, what have we learned about sin? We've seen it's powerful because it's enticing, it's tempting, it's captivating. We've learned that it's deceptive because it appears harmless. Remember, it looked like the other trees. It promises fulfillment, open eyes, and sophistication. The opportunity to choose for yourself what is good and what is evil. In other words, why should I accept the moral standards of God? Why shouldn't I be able to choose for myself what is good and what is bad? What is right for me and what's not right for me? Why should God be the person that tells me that? We've learned that it's beautiful to look at, it's not ugly, it's not repulsive. We expect sin to be like, I'm sin. But sin is like, hi, I'm sin. I look like Fabio, I'm sin. It's entertaining. It's entertaining. It, it's, it draws your eyes to it. It's tasty. The first bite is delicious, but it has disastrous results. It brings death. My dad used to say the problem with sin is that the results are often slow-acting And those of us who are parents, we tell our kids, sin is terrible. But the kids don't know, but the parents do because the parents have seen the result of sin. And we're talking about the end of sin, the effect, the place it leads you. We're not talking about the seductive, beautiful part. If sin was ugly and tasted terrible, nobody would fall into it. The poison is slow acting, but sure. It leaves you vulnerable. It leaves you exposed. It drives you into hiding. It makes you resent and fear the presence of God. It steals your joy and fellowship, and it brings blame and accusation. I talked to a young woman who fell into a very serious drug addiction and ended up a heroin addict. And when I talked to her, she told me it all started one day in a car with her peers, and they were smoking pot. And they were passing it around. And she refused it. And one of the young men said to her, just take it. It's not a gateway drug. And when she saw that joint, she expected it to be the worst experience of her life. She expected to, you know, take it in and just feel lousy and terrible and guilty. And it would be just awful. And so she took it in. And she said she felt elated. She felt like all her problems disappeared. She felt giddy. And she thought, wow, I didn't expect this. But then pretty soon, the marijuana wasn't doing it for her. So then she went to ecstasy. And her first time she did ecstasy, she said, oh, this is wonderful. All the problems are over. And then from ecstasy, pretty soon that wasn't doing it for her. So she she went on to cocaine, and from cocaine to heroin, just trying to get that first experience that she had years ago. And what she realized at the end of her road is sin had seduced her, deceived her, and left her with death. It's not the first bite. I had a friend who used to work. I have a friend. She used to work in the gambling industry. I'm not allowed to say what her name is, who she is, or anything. But let me tell you what I can say. She told me her husband used to be the casino uh, manager. That's how they met. She used to do the blackjack table. And they told her those new people that you've never seen before, let them win, make them win. She she told me the way to get someone addicted to gambling is to make them win at first. She said because if they win at first, they expect to win every time and they will use up all their money trying to win and become absolutely addicted. So she said that she used to stack the cards to make the new people win. Because if you win the first time, you'll be an addict. Most dangerous thing you can have. Sin is seductive. The first bite tastes good. Tastes good. I'm not going to deny it. It tastes good. It's the results. It's that slow acting results. It's that slow downward spiral. It's that gateway that you've just walked through. But there is one more thing we learn about sin. And that's in Genesis chapter five. We learn that there is hope through the seed of the woman. Now, those of you who are reading this and you're going back to Genesis three, verse 15, you're like, seed of a woman? A woman doesn't have seed, she has eggs. In fact, I was talking to Margaret yesterday who informed me that the biggest cell in a woman is the egg, And the smallest cell in a man is the seed. But what is this telling us, the seed of a woman? It's telling us about a virgin birth. It's telling us that a virgin will give birth to a son, to a Messiah, who will crush the head of Satan, but in the process will become mortally wounded. As we look at the lineage of Seth, Abel dies, but God raises up a godly seed through Seth. We find one godly son stands out in each generation. You read about, they had lots of sons and daughters, but one, one, one out of 100, one out of 200 in each generation chooses to seek God. And then we get Enoch, who gets special attention because of his daily walk with God. He walks with God. What Adam and Eve once had in the garden, Enoch has, and he gets taken back into Eden. He gets taken into the presence of God, and God took him, and he was not because God took him, because he walked with God, We learn that the sons of Seth that resist sin are the ones who hold the messianic hope. As Lamech expresses concerning Noah, his son, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Each one had a hope for one son. Is this son the Messiah? This son this son is carrying on that special seed that will be the Messiah. God will provide the seed, the Messiah, through a woman, one who will remove the curse of sin by crushing the head of the serpent, becoming mortally wounded in the process. This hope against the power of sin that the ancients could only wait for is ours today through Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He came born of a woman. On the cross, he received a mortal wound from the serpent. Yet in dying, he crushed the serpent's head and provided the payment for all the transgressions of men. He reversed the curse. And the curse of sin is in the process of reversal right now. One soul at a time. One ransomed soul at a time. He conquered death when he rose again and now he offers emancipating power against sin. A power Satan does not want you to know or to tap into or to utilize. But because of Jesus, we have the victory over sin and over the consequences of sin, which is death. And now death has become, for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, only a transport to glory. Death is but the doorway to the crystal sea, the translucent sea, to the glowing throne of God, to the emerald rainbow, to the thousands who stand before him, in glistening robes, proclaiming his glory. It is simply a transport. It has lost its power. It has lost its curse. It was the desire for self-determination. I want my will. I want to choose what is good and what is bad for me that brought death. But the desire to give Jesus the commitment to give Jesus the right to determine the course of our existence, to say to Jesus Christ, you choose for me. You tell me what is good, and that's good. You tell me what is bad, and that's real bad. You tell me where to go, and that's what I'll walk in. When we do that, the course of our existence leads to life. And that more abundantly. Sin reigned from Adam until Jesus. And Jesus stopped the course of sin. The curse held strong, but now it's in the process of being undone. Undone. One ransom life at a time. Sin is strong but our Messiah Jesus is stronger. He is stronger. We have all seen and experienced the disastrous consequences of Eve's lethal choice to bite down into the forbidden. But truth be told, don't you go blaming Eve because you've all taken a bite. All of us have taken the bite and come short of the glory of God. There is not one person in here who has not taken that lethal bite. I remember when I was a little girl, hearing about a little boy, this is such a gross story, sticking something up his nose. It was a whistle. And so what did I do? As I heard my parents talking about that little boy who had stuck a whistle in his nostril, I stuck one in mine. <laughs> I don't know why. And then I had to pull it out. and I had this terrible bloody nose. I didn't want to tell my mom how it happened. She's like, what? How did you get that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I bit the apple. I bit the forbidden fruit. I just heard about what he did. And I was like, I want to try that. <laughs> that sounds fun. We've all done. We've all done it. We've all done it. So we can't blame Eve. Because she just did what we would all do and what we've all done. Christ crushed the head of the serpent and took the mortal blow for us. He took the mortal bite, Eve bit into the forbidden, and Jesus' heel was bitten that we who are sinners and rebels might be made saints and priests to our God. Jesus today offers freedom from the curse of sin and from the consequence of sin, through faith. Faith, I trust you. I trust your word. I give you the right to choose my destiny. And today, through Jesus Christ and faith, giving it to Jesus, we can be free. Free through the great, amazing, emancipating power that was brought to us through the blood of Jesus Christ that spilled from the cross onto the earth. And as the author Hebrews says, the blood of the Messiah speaks greater things to us than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel said, vengeance. They're under the curse. But the blood of Jesus Christ says, forgiveness and cleansing. It's a better word that we have received through Jesus Christ. Eve blew it. We've blown it. But Jesus Christ is greater. And he forgives and cleanses to the uttermost all who will come to him. This is the good news about the bad news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have freed us from the curse of sin. Lord, we do not answer to Satan. We are not intimidated by Satan. We call on the authority of Jesus Christ. Lord, we will not let this world and the circumstances of this world and the God of the power of this air speak the final word. That is not his word to speak. Death does not speak over us. Sin does not speak over us. But Jesus Christ speaks over us the word of life.
0: The account of the fall is not meant to cause us to blame Adam and Eve, but to recognize our susceptibility to sin and need of a savior. Jesus has crushed the serpent's head, and now he is working to bring about regeneration and perfection in our lives. Because of Jesus, we can live in the hope that creation will one day be restored to the good and perfect intentions of God. May God give us the grace to see the areas of our lives where we are prone to temptation and our great need for Jesus. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the judgment and grace of God as we continue our series, Our Great Creator in the Book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.